Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of Meta Strategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Jay Upchurch. Jay is the Chief Information Officer of SAS Institute, a leader in the analytics space with revenues exceeding $3 billion annually. As CIO, Jay is responsible for delivering efficient and consistent operations support across all business functions to help accelerate how companies can unlock value from data and analytics. In this interview, we discuss how Jay differentiates the IT department in a company where technologists are everywhere. We also cover how SaaS uses its own products internally. We discuss the company's response to COVID, including how Jay looked to coach his team through the isolation of working from home and keeping them engaged. We also talk about the company's COVID dashboards that the company created to make the analytics available to anybody. Finally, we discuss the company's partnership with Microsoft, SaaS's cloud strategy, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Peter, you keep calling us an unusual enterprise software company. I think we should talk about that a bit. Yes, We have not borrowed a single dollar from a VC or a bank and ended up bootstrapping our way to multi-billion dollar SaaS business with over 60 million enterprise users. That itself is unusual for a tech company. But the principles that have kept us from accepting VC term sheets are simple. We believe all our employees should have good night's sleep each night, be it month end, quarter end, or year end. To enable this principle, we have stayed private and have not dipped into public money. We don't believe in debt and discourage anyone from getting in one. A good night's sleep has its premium. Yes, we believe in good night's sleep and eating healthy foods. That's why we leave money on the table. It comes from our principle of eating healthy food. Just because there is food on the table, we don't believe it's healthy to eat it all. Therefore, any product we market, be it CRM, Sign, Help Desk, and 100 others, these will be many multiples cheaper than our nearest competitor. And it comes from the principle of leaving money on the table. Find out more about our unusual enterprise company at Zoho.com. Thanks, Timothy. I also wanted to share a quick message from our sponsor, Sykes. Sykes is a leading provider of multi-channel demand generation and customer engagement services, helping Global 2000 companies enhance touch points at every stage of the customer journey. To share some perspectives, I'll briefly turn it over to Ian Barkin, the company's chief strategy and marketing officer. Customers don't want and don't deserve a new normal. They deserve and want a better normal. At Sykes, we know this because we spend over 3 billion minutes a year listening to and serving customers of the world's leading brands. And with that much listening, you can't help but know what delights, what infuriates, and what drives customer behaviors and decisions. So what is a better normal? We believe it's the delivery of a truly intelligent customer experience. The call to action has never been clearer for CIOs, CTOs, and the broader C-suite. New is not enough, and the time for tinkering has passed. The winning combination of technology, talent, and customer insight is how to create intelligent 
customer experiences and a truly better normal. To read more about intelligent customer experiences, check out sykes.com forward slash ICX. Thanks, Ian. And now on to our interview. Jay Upchurch, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Great, Peter. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, Jay, I thought we'd begin with your role. You are the Chief Information Officer of SAS, a role you've been in for a bit more than a year now. And I wonder uh, if you could describe your purview as CIO. What, what does that entail in the context of your company? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, it's, it's a CIO plus model. So traditional internal IT globally for the company, uh, as well as our hosting and software as a service business. So I, I get to play with technology that both feeds our internal employees as well as our external customers. And I've, I always find it very interesting, Jay, and in speaking with CIOs at technology companies, you can appreciate, of course, there are a great number of CIOs where the preponderance of tech talent is in IT. That does not describe your company. Tech t- talent is littered across the entire company because it is fundamentally a technology company. Um, how do you think about differentiating the value that your part of the organization contributes relative to other technology engineering parts of the organization? Yeah, you're exactly right, Peter. It's it's not easy um, because your customers, at the end of the day, your internal customers are so talented technically that many times the solutions that they're already asking for are ones that you would have wanted to suggest to them. So um, for us, a lot of what we've done, especially in the last year, has really been shifting the philosophy and shifting the way that we engage our customers, our, our internal customers more as a, um, as a consultant or a service provider, so that service provider mentality. Prior to joining SaaS, I had the opportunity to work in the hospitality industry for a number of years. And you learn in the hospitality industry, again, delivering technology to the service industry is really hard. So you learn there what it really means to, to do it um, with a customer service thought and approach to it. And so one of the things that we did at SaaS that was really interesting with some of our business units was we implemented uh, our business relationship manager, our BRM model. And so we put basically some of our best technologists um, out in front of our business partners to work with them, to learn what they're doing, understand where they're challenged, maybe what their strategy is for the next one to three years, and then work side by side with them around coming back with the technology solutions that make sense. So again, knowing that they're a highly uh, technical audience and putting some of our best technologists in front of them really helps us get going, you know, a little faster as that service provider. And how do you interact with the products of the organization? Surely you must also be a user of SaaS products and probably have some unique perspectives as a result of doing so. Talk a little bit about your your involvement in that and impact that you and the team have from that perspective. Yeah, so a couple of dimensions there, Peter. It's it's really interesting. Um, First of all, we we are a huge user of SaaS internally. We operate some of the most uh, largest, most complex SaaS systems around for our own internal purposes uh, to run the business. Um, We also deliver SaaS to our customers for either a managed application service experience or a software as a service. So understanding how the technology is constructed, how it's built, how it performs, especially under a variety of different workloads and also how we integrate into our customers' enterprise is fascinating. And then the third thing that we do uh, from a dimension standpoint is uh, we we believe strongly in the customer zero model. So as R&D authors software, we are the first to receive it and consume it. And so we get to see it when it's 
um, still the you know cake still kind of being cooked in the oven a little bit, um, and that's really exciting for us because we get to shape how it turns out in the end. Right now, in fact, we're going through the the final touches of um, our next Via iteration, which is a cloud native product, and that's been fascinating for us because we are consuming it, and it's it's not a feature function you know uh, trial. It's much more of how do we consume the packaging of the software, the essence of using it. And that's, again, that's part of where we're helping to shape it and think about it for R&D and also product to figure out how to package it and distribute it out, as well as obviously operate it in our own SaaS cloud. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, Jay, it's also interesting that a number of your company's customers are peers of yours. Uh, A great number of CIOs and IT departments use SaaS products. And I'm curious the extent to which that's enabled you to become a different kind of advocate for the company as a peer, not as a salesperson, but as a peer to some of those same chief information officers. Have you found opportunities to to be that kind of an advocate for the organization? Yes. Um, And it's fascinating because there's a little bit of commiseration, as you can imagine, amongst all CIOs. We struggle with, um, you know, the throes of what's going on around us internal to our companies, external. Uh, we all have the same types of technology coming at us in terms of um, you know, different options and roadmaps and where we choose to invest. And so when I talk to our internal uh, R&D organization or our product teams, and they talk to me about the solutions that they're going to bring to bear or their roadmap, or even how they're going to position it in the sales uh, cycle, I can usually give them some guidance because obviously I'm on the other side of that with many other vendors. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm curious also, we, as you and I have this conversation, we're still in the throes of the, the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic consequences from this and so on. Um, how has this impacted you and your operation? And um, have there been any profound learnings for you as a result of, I can only imagine, probably mostly working virtually, uh, changing the way in which you work and interact with your your, um, your, your team and your colleagues. Talk a bit about um, what, this, what the past six months has been like and some of the learnings from that. Wow, uh, where to start? So SAS um, you know, has uh, operations in about 140 countries around the world. And as COVID started to hit and roll across the world, we had an opportunity to see it in a couple of different office locations. So we had the chance to send some folks home, get them up and running and remote and see and test how that was going to run. And then we, we had the chance to kind of watch it evolve around the world before it hit uh, our, our primary location of operations being Cary, North Carolina. Um, at that time, it was probably the first or second week of March, we sent everybody home. And and, and, and our Cary campus where we've got about 5,000 or so employees, that was a a pretty big decision. One of the wonderful benefits of being at SAS and being local to the Cary area is that the amenity of campus and the close collaboration and the the environment there for innovation that it creates. So sending everybody home, uh, it was definitely a concern at first. What what I I think I was blessed with a little bit was um, following in the footsteps of Keith Collins as the previous CIO. He and the team who inherited a wonderful team there um, did a lot early on in digital transformation. A lot of our systems were already moved up into the cloud. We're not on you know we're not so dependent on a VPN connection back into any old iron back on campus, and so that transition was very smooth and seamless. Uh, so we were we were pleased, I think, at the performance. We had uh, two locations around the world where more um, 
I'll say neighborhood infrastructure was a challenge more than anything else, definitely not the systems per se. So uh, in that regard, we were, we were blessed and it was, it was great to, uh, to get everybody home safe and sound and, and then back up and running operationally. Um, I think that what's kind of transpired from there, it was really interesting because it actually probably spoke more to me as a leader than it did as a technologist. Um, we all went through the, uh, the ebbs and flows of emotion of being working from home and being isolated. I, I have worked from home, uh, gosh, my entire career, uh, up either through extensive travel or from home for a couple of days or so. Um, and working from home is very different than working from home during quarantine, right? You just don't have the opportunity to leave and get out and, and, or go into the office when you want to, or get on a plane and go see someone. And we don't realize just how much we need those little mental breaks and those opportunities for feedback and praise and interaction. So it guides our next action. So being isolated is really tough. And I think as a leader, one of the things that I tried to do early on was just recognize that and try to coach our teams through it. And it wasn't just an IT team, right? It was the it was the everybody that I interacted with throughout SaaS. And SaaS being the wonderful company that it is, put out a lot of um, a lot of outreach to our employees. We had a, a, a regular schedule from each executive to put a note out every every week uh, on a topic from working from home. Our HR organization put out a tremendous amount of benefits uh, and information around how to cope and what to do and, and just different ways to think about remaining engaged with your team, with your projects, with their company. And then I think the last thing that we did that was really fascinating was around just our community outreach and what we were doing. So um, it was fairly well publicized, but SAS did a tremendous amount of giving back to the community. Uh, in terms of publishing COVID-19 dashboards to, to make that the analytics available to anybody. Because as as the pandemic was starting, data was um, was few and far between at first and trying to collapse it all down into a single dashboard that gave people the ability to mine it and explore it. Uh, we were one of the early companies to go there. And then it went beyond that. Um, commercially, we, we were giving away a lot of our time and expertise in software, as well as helping out with um, a lot of our customers to figure out how to put the plat, uh, platform in play. So uh, a number of different stories popped up, whether or not it was in the um, health and life sciences arena or in travel, hospitality. And there were a lot of places where our technology was brought up. Um, Mercy Healthcare was a great one that we, that we highlighted. Uh, Cleveland Clinic was another. So um, it, it, I was very proud to see our, uh, our solutions in play. And then I think that also drove back that connection with our employees. We wanted to make sure our employees were connected to each other, to the teams, to the product, and then obviously the communities that we serve. Having had the um, the pleasure of visiting your Cary headquarters and the really remarkable campus that you have, one of the most beautiful and interesting and certainly set up very nicely for collaboration and so forth, the organization under normal circumstances certainly put an awful lot into thinking through the best way for teams to collaborate. There are a lot of organizations now who are rethinking the mix of people who will be in offices versus those who are not. Uh, I'm curious, um, you know, I don't know if uh, SAS has yet come to any conclusions about this, but uh, given the sort of compelling space that you have and the benefit you have from working in offices, is yours an organization that is more inclined to return once it's safe to do so? Or are there different ways in which you're all thinking about that? Yeah, it's great. It's great to ask that question. 
Um, just this morning, we launched our employee support center, and it's basically our next generation of engagement for employee self-service. Uh, it's a lo- single stop location for you to go and get any information, make requests, log tickets, see your interactions with the company. Uh, and it's a kind of a, it was something that we were already working on prior to COVID hitting. Uh, and now it's come, kind of have a completely different meaning, if you will, for our uh, distributed workforce. Um, we at SAS, we are closed campus through the end of the year. Dr. Goodnight made that decision. Uh, and again, as you can imagine, there was some initial concerns across the company just around staying connected and, and losing sight of some of the, um, you know, the connective tissue that is campus at Camp Cary. Um, we are following the footsteps of many in the community around us. We also uh, were very concerned about our impact to the community. When this first hit, we, um, we immediately fired up our continuity of business uh, program. I happen to be a member of that leadership team. And we talked a lot about what, what did it mean to go back to work and when would we go back to work and what was SAS's responsibility there. Uh, in the technology industry, you know, we have the luxury of not having to be on campus. And so we started thinking about our responsibility in the community. And one of the things that resonated with all of us on the board was if we were to send back 5,000 people at one time and carry, what does that do to the infrastructure? What, what, what potential risk would that have to, to hospitals if there was a breakout? And there are other companies in the area that don't have that luxury. They can't operate without being present and, on, and you know, in their offices. And so we wanted to make sure that we took a step back and thought about that as well as obviously our own, our own business. The good news is for SAS, while campus may have been closed, um, you know, SAS has been open and operating at full steam the entire time, as I said, with that transition home. As you look to the future, Jay, are there specific trends, and especially as you look to the future, perhaps even beyond uh, uh, the pandemic, are there trends that particularly excite you that are starting to make their way onto your roadmap? What are some of the things you're, you're, you're planning for? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think the the Microsoft announcement back in June had a uh, has a material impact on our future and where we're going. Uh, that's a partnership that we started many many years ago um, back back when with SaaS Office Analytics. It was one of the first products for us to integrate in with with for Microsoft and just to start pulling data out and getting it into our platform for analysis. Um, we also have consumed Microsoft technology for many many years as a company. Uh, Office 365, uh, it was a great example and also something that helped us in the prior conversation around being able to get, get home safely and collaborate still from, from there. Um, and, and as we kind of thought about where we were going in our own cloud journey, it's something that I was very passionate about in coming into SaaS. Um, we wanted to make sure that we had a partner there that, um, that aligned to us as a philosophy and then also aligned to us as a culture. And Microsoft stood out above the rest. Um, it was not about, um, you know, a shopping experience for infrastructure as a service. We weren't just purely looking for somewhere to run SaaS cloud. It was really about what is the belief around getting analytics out to everyone. We're talking about um, democratizing it all the time. And we want to make that a seamless experience for our customers. And so one of the things that was fascinating was just the transparency and the dialogue that we had around marrying up software from Microsoft and from SaaS both companies have a tremendous base of customers and we wanted to bring those products together so each customer base could enjoy the other. And so when we think about what SaaS can bring to the table, 
it's fascinating because the leading analytics product in the marketplace, um, obviously AI and machine learning. And then you look over at Microsoft and Microsoft has very compelling technology and new ways for data access and management. They obviously have a tremendous reach with their cloud. And then they have another a number of other um, Azure-based services that we make that makes the consumption of our platform easier. And so by breaking down the barriers between all of that technology and pulling it together, it actually creates a very compelling opportunity for our customers in the marketplace to, to gain quick access to our software. And that's really just kind of what I'll say is kind of the first wave of opportunity together. We're just putting together technology that each party already has. The other part of the relationship is really talking about where do we go from here and, and how do we put together new solutions that may be more compelling in, in, in an industry-specific manner. So uh, when, we, when we went live with the announcement, one of the, the early stories that we talked about was our IoT collaboration, specifically around floodplain planning and, and responsiveness with the town of Cary. Again, being in our backyard, we had a, a certain personal interest in that. Uh, and then the, the other thing that it did, it started to marry up our own IoT capability, our platform with some of the IoT uh, um, feed and platform from Azure. And so that product is up and out there running right now. It's something that we are very passionate about. We love it because it's a, it's a life safety you know, story that we can put out there for our platform, um, highly repeatable. And in the town of Cary's case, it's a, it's a shared platform. So they're sharing that data with, with local institutions all around. Because as you guys know, you know, life and safety has no boundaries. There's no, you know, there's no need to, to stop the flow of, of data across there. So that's, that's really exciting to me. Um, another area that I'm really passionate about is just as we go to the cloud is going there in the right manner. So SaaS has um, a wonderful platform in SaaS 9 that has been out there for um, a very long time, wildly successful and has a, a, a large uh, customer base globally. We also launched VIA a number of years ago, and VIA was the next iteration of SAS 9. And it, it was interesting because of the timing when it was released, many of the cloud technologies were still emerging. And as we know now, there's none more prevalent than a lot of the containers and microservice approaches that many of, the, of our, um, our friends in the, in the industry are taking. And that's what uh, VIA 4 represents for us. So arriving in the cloud to take advantage of the native capability of auto scaling, idling, being able to offer elastic workloads. And that's really interesting in our space because of the nature of analytics. It's a, it's a lumpy um, uh, you know, pattern of usage. And so we wanna make sure that our customers can take advantage of the cost containment that cloud can bring you, but also the speed. Many times, some of the workloads that we have seen on our platforms have sometimes been constrained just by the amount of iron that you can throw at. And that's not the case as we start helping our customers move into the workload, uh, moving to the cloud. So again, I think the, the marriage with Microsoft is really compelling and then showing there in a relevant way with cloud native technology will really help us um, you know, drive our customers kind of uh, and help them get into the cloud. And then I think the, the, the third one I throw in there, Peter, too, is just the timing. I mean, the timing of this stuff is, is fascinating. We know that 2020 for all companies is going to be a challenging year with COVID. And so like everyone else, right, you're going to be conservative with any of your investments. And you're probably going to wait to see the, the macro economy start to, to recover a bit more globally. And so if you think about our timing with Microsoft, with the cloud native platform coming out, 
and then ultimately a little bit of pent up demand coming out of uh, the, the pandemic. I think we're poised to have a very successful year next year. That's great. Well, JF Church, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been a great conversation to hear more about uh, all that's been going on at SAS during a very dynamic time, to say the least. But thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thank you, Peter. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Thursday for a special episode from our digital symposium featuring Tenant Healthcare Chief Information Officer Paula Arbor and Allstate Chief Technology Officer Chris Gates.